I've not had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Neil Davidson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. It's great to welcome you to our services. And inside of your bulletins today, which actually your bulletins have a lot of great information about the things that are happening at Hope Chapel. We don't really um, voice all those happenings anymore, so you need to be reading up on that. You can find out a lot of things as well that are going on uh, on our webpage. Uh, in fact, now um, it's through our webpage that you'll sign up for most things, like for our men's breakfast, like this coming to Saturday, women's events that are coming up, those kinds of things. You'll sign up through our website to be a part of those. But uh, we'll always, we'll, we have those now for you still in our bulletins, and love for you to get that. If you're not getting our e-letter every week, it's all in there. You can click that off in your cards. There are some white cards in there. If you're new to us, what we use those for is a, primarily a way you can communicate some information. Love for you to do that. Also, you can share with us prayer needs, and we would love to have a chance to pray with you uh, this week about the things that are on your heart. Uh, even though you may not hear from us, doesn't mean that we're not praying for you. And there are also some special prayer guides out in the lobby that are on this, these blue-looking uh, pieces of paper. And these are some specific prayer requests from those that we support who do collegiate ministry in the Worcester area, and they've given us a calendar to work through and to pray for them over the next few weeks, and you can grab one of those on your way out. We've come to the time in our service where we're going to spend some time reading the Bible and teaching the Bible, trying to figure out what it means, what are the applications for us, kind of the, the what and the so what. And the reason we do this is because we believe that it is in God's Word that He gives us the clearest direction on how to live the new life that He's given us in Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend some time in His Word. And today we're going to be looking at a gentleman that really had a profound impact on the nation, but of Israel, but really in many ways is kind of an unsung hero for us as people who walk in the faith. It's a guy by the name of King Josiah. And we've been doing a series this summer and called, called Legends, where we've been trying to learn faithfulness, how to live faithfully from those who have been faithful. And Josiah certainly fits in those char- uh, in, into that um, category. And I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles Chapter 34. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, and you'll find it right underneath your seat, this text is on page 390. If you're using your own Bible, I'd love for you to turn there and get to Second Chronicles chapter um, 34. We're going to read the story of Josiah in just a minute. Let me give you my premise today. And from that premise, we can see the value that Josiah has to teach us about how to live faithfully. And here's my premise. God intends for every single believer, every single person who has made the choice to turn away from a life of sin and has accepted through faith the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ and has committed their life to following after Christ, God intends for every single one of us who have turned away from sin and chosen to follow Christ, He intends for our life to have an impact. He intends for our life to have a spiritual impact. God does not want any of his children to go through this life and not leave spiritual footprints on the planet. He wants every single one of us to have an impact. Where do you get that from? Well, there's lots of places I can turn in the Bible, but let me just share with you a passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Right? He said, you are the light of the world. He said, a city set on the hill cannot be hidden. It says, nor do men light a, a lamp and put it underneath the bushel basket, but they put it up on the lampstand that it can give life to, light to all who are in the house. 
so you too should let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, when you look at that pastor's scripture, Jesus says that every single one of us has a light to shine. Because of what God has done in who we are as people, he has remade us. We've been born again. We've been given a new nature by God. We have this light of God within us, this new life of God within us, and it is the light that is intended to shine. In fact, you don't light it so you can hide it underneath the table so nobody can see it, but that we're supposed to have a spirit of intentionality of trying to get it onto the highest spot so it'll give as much light as possible, and the impact of that light shining is that people are supposed to turn and pay attention to God. God, Jesus is saying, your life is designed as a child of God to have an impact. I've made you that way through your faith in Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. I want you to hold that light up intentionally, and I want it to have an impact on others because that's what it's designed to do. But for the vast majority of us, when we hear that terminology, we get intimidated. Who am I to have an impact on the world? And how in the world do I have an impact on the world? And so I want to share with you just some thoughts from Josiah about how we actually go about this journey of impacting our world for Jesus Christ. That we can actually be and do and experience and have the impact that we're supposed to on our world. And Josiah is a tremendous story. And and I've given you a few facts in your outline um, about this period of time in which Josiah came to be king. Now, before I read the passage for you, let's just kind of get the, the, the experience. Because a lot of you are going to say, well, he's the king, right? The king can do whatever he wants. The, obviously, the king's going to have an impact, right? He's the leader. Everybody has to pay attention. If you don't off the, I got to tell you, when Josiah came to the throne, the throne was a dangerous place to live. It's probably one of these things where he's saying, thanks, Dad. This is a job I don't really want. It was a turbulent time. Israel was a tiny little nation that was just a pawn and all the international intrigue that was going on. And to sit on the throne was actually to sit on a seat that put your life at risk. So up to this point in time, I mean, the nation of Israel had already had a king for 400 years by the time Josiah had come to the throne. Comparison, the United States, 1776 to 2016, we're 240 years old. So you, you imagine the, 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 the Israelites, the nation, have kind of gotten used to doing life their way at this point in time, right? They got some pretty strong traditions as a part of that. The two kingdoms actually have been separated for over 300 years. So you, you know, originally there was the nation of Israel under David, all united, and et cetera, and, and, Saul, and, then it, and Solomon, and then it splits. And you have the northern nation of Israel, and then you have the southern nation of Judah. And Josiah is the king of Judah, but he extends his influence over the nation of Israel, which was to the north, but actually Israel's not there anymore. They had already been in exile for 80 years. They they, they had so turned away from God, God God had warned them. He had instructed them. He showed them how to change. They refused to do so. He sent them into exile at the hands of the Assyrians. And those ten northern tribes of Israel were were deported from the land, and they never returned, never came back. 
And so the Assyrians are kind of filling up the land with, with other um, peoples from other groups, mixing them in with the Jews that were behind, and, and Josiah extends his influence out over that. Also, the, the Magna Charter, the, the identity, the core of who the nation is, hadn't been paid attention to in 50 years. As we read through this book, through this story in chapter 34, you're going to discover that they had not paid attention to the book of the law. They hadn't even read it. Now, when I say the book of the law, that's Genesis to Deuteronomy, right? That's Exodus, right? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Genesis, you know, Abraham, the whole promise to Abraham, all down the line, Deuteronomy, all the instructions, how to live out the life, do community. None of that stuff had been read for 50 years. 50 years. And so, when, and on top of all of that, Josiah, when he comes to the throne, his grandfather was a guy by the name of Manasseh. You'll read about him in chapter 33. He had actually gotten into such a bad spot that the Assyrians actually took him away into captivity. And because of his repentance, God had brought him back to the throne. But, you know, again, he was just one of those things. If we don't like you, we'll take you out. Right? And then his father comes to the throne after him. Um, Josiah's father was named Amnon. He came to the throne at the age of 22. He was, so he was 16 when he gave birth to his wife gave birth to Josiah. And he's on the throne at the age of 22, and by the age of 24, he's assassinated. And then other people in the nation assassinate the people who assassinated him. So you can tell it's really a stable place, right? I mean, this is just easy going. I mean, this is just a walk in the park for this kid, right? Let's pick up the story in chapter 34. So it's, it's, it's not a warm and fuzzy place to try to have a spiritual impact. But let's pick up the story here. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to read a lot of it to you. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight. Some of you got eight-year-olds. What, what are your eight-year-olds doing? You know, I mean, crying because they don't get chocolate milk at the, for lunch. Or whatever, you know, I, Josiah's eight years old when he come, became king, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, and he walked in the ways of his ancestor David. No other king had done this for over 60 years. The vast majority of the kings of Judah, like the kings of Israel, had, had done evil in the sight of God. And so he, right from the beginning, he, he, he sets the tone. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, so now he's 16 years of age, it's probably this time when, you know, they probably had like a regent over him or an advisory group. He's eight years old, right? You know, I mean, they're not going to be going to him and saying, hey, do you think we should attack the Assyrians today? You know, they're not going to be doing that, right? they got other guys who are helping out. But at the age of 16, he's starting to emerge into manhood, right? And so he's starting to take the reign. So in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. And in the twelfth year, so now he's 20, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. So Israel, even though they were supposed to be aligned only with God, was practicing all the other habits of the world. And those were expressed in those days through false religions. Today, I mean, it's not so much like, you know, we go and worship the 
the, you know, the, the roots in the backyard and that kind of stuff. We don't bow down to our tomato plants and stuff like that. But we, we have other things that we use to align our lives and give our lives some sense of identity or structure. We use lots of different things in our world outside of God to do that. They were doing the same thing. They just did it through religious expression. Right? And he, he begins to take all that stuff down in Judah and Jerusalem. Then in the presence... Then in his presence, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he chopped down the incense altars that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles. That's the female side of the fertility deity that they were worshiping. The carved images and the cast images. And he crushed them to dust and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he, he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. So he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Now he did the same in the cities of Manasseh. Ephraim and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and on their surrounding mountain shrines. So even though he wasn't the king over the region to the north, he was way down in the southern part of Palestine, closer to where the northern tip of the, of the Dead Sea is. He's, he's having an impact north of the Sea of Galilee, you know, hundreds of miles away. Even though he's not the king there, he's still extending his influence there. So he tears down, verse 7, all the altars, and he smashed the Asherah poles and the carved images to powder, and he chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel, and he returned to Jerusalem. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, now he's 26, right? 26, I think we were, we were having our first kid when I was 26. So this kid, he's 26. In order to cleanse the land, in the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent a guy by the name of Saphan, son of Azaliah, along with Messiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian Joah, son of Joahaz, to repair the temple of the Lord their God. So they go, and, and you know, the, the temple at this point, I mean, it's been defiled over and over again. They've built altars to other gods. They haven't really paid attention to it. It's not a central place of worshiping the true God, so it's just kind of fallen into disrepair. So he's ready to bring it back up to speed, and he sends his leadership to get it done. And, and there's a lot of conversation about it in that verses 9 through, through uh, 13. But we pick up with verse 14. It says, When they brought out the money that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law written by the hands of Moses. Consequently, Hilkiah told Saphan, the court secretary, I, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to him. So Saphan took the book to, and also reported your, to the king. And he also reported, your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. They've emptied out the money that was found in the Lord's temple and have put it into the hands of the overseers and the hands of those doing the work. And so everything's taking place. The temple's kind of coming back into shape. And, and said, but then Saphan says, the court secretary told him, said to the king, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And so he reads from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim, son of Saphan, Abnon, son of Micah, Saphan, the court secretary, and the king's servant, Isaiah. Ez Go ask Yahweh for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything that was written in it. So they go and they seek out a prophetess who is living in the city, who has a role in the overall administration of the king, and her name is Huldah. And so she begins to unpack what God's going to do because they've been ignoring his, his uh, things. And, and, and one of the, 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 the principles that just flow out of this is that 
that even though they're turning back to God, the king is leading back, sin is always going to have its consequences. So with that, she tells them what's going to happen to the city, and that stuff's going to happen within 30 years. Within 30 years, the city of, of Judah is going to be deported, and by the time it's all over, the temple's going to be destroyed, and the, and the list just kind of goes on and on, and all that kind of stuff is happening. But we pick up a little bit of the story in verse 26. Say this to the king of Judah who sent you to ask Yahweh. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and you wept before me, I myself have heard, and this is the Lord's declaration, I will indeed gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. And so they went and they brought the report to the king. So in the latter part of the chapter, they prepare to celebrate the Passover, the core religious experience rooted in God's deliverance of the people from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. They're they ready to celebrate the, Pass, the Passover for the first time in over half a century. And Josiah is at the lead in the midst of all of that. And I'm going to make a reference back to that in just a moment. Now, when you look at this guy's life, I mean, he comes to the throne at the age of eight. And he's got a bunch of handlers around him, right? And then at the age of 16, he kind of steps up. 16. I mean, what were you doing when you were 16? I bet you most of you were like me. You're looking in the mirror trying to see, did I get another pimple last night while I was sleeping, you know? And I, kinda, I mean, you know, he, we're, 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 we're tied into... And at the age of 16, this guy steps out and says, I'm going to be the leader. And I'm going to seek God, and the nation's going to follow. And, and he did this at the risk of his life. There were those who, who saw this movement as being bad politically. It was going to bring the Assyrians down, all these kinds of issues, or it would anger the Egyptians, whatever, and they're going to lose their economy and the whole nine yards. And, you know, they're thinking, for the good of the nation, we've got to get rid of this guy. It, there's, there's a lot of conflict going on. And yet he steps into the gap and he begins to seek God. And I look at him and I see some very simple truths that if you and I will just practice them, the impact will come. I think a lot of times we think we have to go home and, you know, hype ourselves up and maybe spend, you know, two weeks in our prayer closet and somehow or another we're going to come out with this big, huge goal of what we're going to do. And that's the way we have an impact for God. I got to believe, I got to tell you, I think it's much more about the simple everyday choices that we make that actually leads us to be in a position to have a spiritual impact. Let me show you a couple of things from, this, from his life. That One of the things that I think you really need to understand is that this task of letting our light shine as we've lifted it up so other people can actually see it and be changed, be impacted by what they see going on in our lives, that this is a mission that applies to every season of life. You know, for... For Josiah, he's eight years old. Then he's 16. Then he's 26. For his grandfather, Manasseh, who had actually abandoned and, and, and ran away from the Lord and tried to lead everybody else away from the Lord, for, for decades of his, of his kingship, it was at the very end of his life that he actually turned back to God and had an impact on the nation. And when you and I look at it, this is a mission that belongs to every season of our life. Whether you're in 
high school, whether you're in college, whether you're just starting your career, or whether you're the CEO of the company about ready to retire, or whether you've already retired. I, I pointed out to the first service, our, our submarine for VBS this week was built by Paul Rulo. Today is his 81st birthday. You know, he's 80 years old, and he's still contributing to the things that God is doing through his church and through his kingdom. I mean, there, this is something that belongs to every season of our lives. A lot of times, you know, if I was going to broaden that statement out, I'd say, you know, you and I need to stop making excuses. We need to stop making excuses. Let me give you an example, right? So you're in one phase of life. You say, well, I'm unemployed. I don't have a job. I don't really have the time to do this stuff anymore. I, you know, I need to be working on finding a job. And then you get to a place where, well, now I have a job and I'm working a lot and I got a family, so I don't have time to do it, so, so I really can't. We're, we, can, we can find all kinds of excuses, right? And there's just the ways in which we need to understand that God has designed every phase and every circumstance of life as a place for you and I to lift up our light intentionally so it has an impact, and we just need to embrace the mission. We just need to embrace the mission. This isn't something for out in the future. Or is it something out in your past? It is in your presence. You know, I love the spirit. I don't know where I saw this or whatever. They were doing an interview with a guy, and he was like 80 years old, and he was just graduating from college. You know, and, and so they were asking him the question like, well, wh- why are you going to college at your age? And his response was, it's the only age I got left. You know, and, 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 and we, there's a lot of us that we just need to have that attitude. I don't care what age I'm at. I need to just be doing this stuff. You know, I'm impressed. I mean, in, in, in just a few weeks, I'll have the privilege of going down to WPI, one of our universities here in Worcester, and, and speaking to a group of students on, on a Friday night. Be there on September the 9th. And um, there'll be a group of 60 to 70 students that will gather together. They gather every Friday night while they're at schools in session just for prayer and to hear from God's Word as they, they either lead it themselves or have other people like me come in and lead but, but these are students, I mean, they've gone to a place where not only is their time under tremendous demand levels with their eight-week semesters that they go through and all the team projects and everything else, and they're learning stuff that I can't even begin to think about what they're beginning to learn, like Brian's doing here in the front row, PhD, thinking about how many vectors there are in 50 different dimensions, and I can't even imagine 50 different dimensions, let alone how many vectors there are in them, and... So, you know, that guy, you know and, and yet these are kids who are gathering together and say, we want to make sure the campus knows that we're here and that we're working, walking with the Lord. Every season of life is a time for impact. Here's the second truth. You and I need to appreciate the power of simply making a choice, making a commitment, and then following through with it on, with action. It doesn't have to be big, huge stuff or whatever. We just need to... Make a commitment, make it public, and follow through with it, and you would be surprised the impact that that can have on the lives of other people. You know, I didn't read these verses for you in the latter part of chapter 34, but when they're getting ready to set up uh, their preparation for the very first Passover in, in over 50 years, the king, it says in verse 31, stood at his post, and he made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the words of the covenant written in his book. The king stood up and said, I choose to
today in all of your presence. This is what I'm going to do. You know I've been doing it. We've been tearing down the altars. We've been getting rid of the false worship. We've been turning back to God. But I'm telling you, we're going to keep going forward. And he follows up with that with action. He shares all the, the needs for lambs and goats and everything else that are part of this Passover celebration. He steps up. He makes a choice. And he moves forward with it. And he takes action on it. And I've got to tell you, it had a tremendous impact. And, and, and a lot of us, just a very simple thing is saying, you know what, no matter what circumstance I'm in, whether I'm still in high school or late in elementary school or college or just beginning my career or whatever, and transitions that are going on, just the power of making a choice, making a commitment, and keeping that commitment has a huge impact on the lives of other people. You know, I, I know I'm going back a long way, but, I, you know, I look at this dynamic in my own life. When I, when I was in high school, the Lord really began to speak to my heart, right? You know, I just kind of you know, I'd gone to church my entire life. I had become a follower of Jesus Christ. Got into high school. was much more enamored with a lot of other things instead of really doing that. And, 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 and in the middle of my high school year, sophomore, junior year kind of thing, God really began to bring some conviction on my life. But I got to tell you, outside of a few church friends, I didn't really want anybody else to know. And I got to tell you, every single time that I was in a circumstance where I had to choose between what was right in the eyes of God or, and what, what everybody else was doing, I got to tell you, I almost always failed in those moments. Almost always did what just everybody else did. So when, when I graduated, I, was, I went up to Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, and, and, I, and I made a commitment to myself that I, I was, from day one, I was going to lead out with the idea that I was a believer, that I was a Christian, that I took this faith in Christ seriously. You know, so I arrived at, on, on campus early. One of the first guys there was playing football. It's just a couple of other guys on my floor who were on the team as well. And then everybody else began to wander in and that kind of stuff. And from the, ve- from the very first moments, I made it clear that I was trying, I was trying to walk with, with God. I, I immediately found a local church. I plugged in, went to church every Sunday morning. You know, and, and I got to tell you, almost every place along the way where it was that challenge between what everybody else was doing and what I knew to be right in the eyes of God, I was almost always choosing what was right in the eyes of God. And I remember at the end of my first semester, you know, we were in finals week. And everybody is studying the dorm. They're pulling all-nighters and whenever. And here it is. It's on Wednesday night. I got two finals the next day. And at 6.30, I'm heading out the door with my Bible to go teach the teenagers at the church because that's a commitment I had made. And I remember before I got to the end of my dorm floor, three different guys asked me, I was like, where are you going? Don't you have finals tomorrow? I said, yeah, but I made this commitment that I'd teach these kids, and I'm going to go keep it. You know, I had the highest GPA of any kid on my floor that first semester. You know, it's just amazing sometimes when you just make the simplest choices and you follow it up with commitment, it has an impact. Sometimes the impact is kind of surprising. You know, our our floor advisor, you know, they had like an RA for every floor and an over one for the the dorm. And and so this guy who was one on our floor, he was a philosophy of religion major. So we had this conversation towards the end of the first semester. You know, he found out I was a church. So we're having this conversation about faith and God and all that kind of stuff and the Bible and whatever. And, and his conclusion at the end of it, this is the impact that I had on him. He said, I said, he said, you know what? He said, I think it's really scary that a person like you is at an institution of higher learning. So that's the impact I had. I was scaring him to death, you know, because, you know, you know but just draw in a line in the sand. I got to tell you, whether you're, whether you're out in the, in the, on the playground at recess 
or whether you're walking between dormitories or what you're doing at the water cooler, the commitments that you make, just a simple commitment to say, you know what, I'm not going to whine at work. I'm just going to pray for people who are in difficulty. Just making that commitment and living it out, you'd be surprised the impact it can have. Josiah just drew a line in the sand and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm holding myself accountable, and he did it, and he impacted the nation. Third thing, you really need to embrace the role of the Word of God in this whole journey. Okay, you really need to embrace it. flows here. Huldah repeats what she had heard was his response to the Word of God, that he was humble, that he tore his clothes and responded. His heart was tender before the Word of God when he heard it read to him. Most of us are thinking, what in the world am I going to dream up? so that I can do something that can really have an impact for God. And when we think through that whole journey, it intimidates us. It scares us. That's not what God's asking you to do. God's saying, this is how I want you to, this is how I'm going to have an impact on the world through your life. Just listen to the Word of God, have a tender, humble heart before it, and just go do it. And the rest of it will take care of itself. God's not asking you to be some, you know, mighty person, whatever, most creative. He's just simply asking you, read the Word of God, understand it, and go live it. And if you do those things, the impact will come. That's what it was for Josiah. Now, yeah, he happened to be the king. He could have gone lots of different directions. He was getting advice in lots of different directions. I'm sure of that. But at the end of the day, when he heard the Word of God and he recognized what it asked him to do, he did it. And because of that, he had an impact. And, and listen, God is not asking for you to have an impact. God is simply saying, I will have an impact through you if you'll listen to the word and you'll do it. And that really means this last point is spot on. That means you and I need to be people who are truly teachable, who are truly teachable. Now, let me, let me draw this thing. He's eight years old when he becomes a king. Getting a little older, thinking about stuff, certainly in prep. At the age of 16, he really begins to seek the Lord. And between there and, and, and the age of 20, he really changes the nation. He, he, he cleans out the temple, and he gets rid of all the Asherahs and the Baals, all these false religions. He does it not only in his nation, but the other people who are kind of underneath the influence of the nation. He, he does all that stuff. And, 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 I mean, he is already taking tremendous risk, created lots of upheaval in his nation, and yet when they discover the book of the law, he's ready to go one more step. Let me, let me show you something. Just, just a, 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 another verse over, a couple verses over. When you, when you look at ver, chapter 35, verse 9, 9 to 18, verse 18. Next chapter over. So they, they find the book of the law, right? And... They understand they're supposed to be celebrating the Passover and all these other celebrations through the course of the year. They haven't done the Passover. That's kind of like the cream of the crop, the big one. You know, and, and Josiah doesn't say, you know what, well, you know what, I, I, I've already done a ton. You know what I mean? I've already emptied out my treasury to fix the temple, and, you know, I've already torn down. I've already made lots of enemies with tearing down, you know, thing, the, all these worship idols, et cetera. I'm taking away the high spots in the northern country. I've done all this stuff. You know what, we're just... We're, we're going to do this, but we're just going to kind of go through the motions. It's not what he does. Look at, look at verse 18 of chapter 35. They, they, as they celebrate the Passover, this is the conclusion that the word of God draws. No Passover had been observed like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. Here he is, 10 
plus years into his journey of reform in the nation with all the stuff that he's already done, all of the stuff that he's already expended, all of the, the, the emotional and relational capital he's already spent. And this guy has been working at it, and he gets, and he hears more, and he goes, he goes lavish. You know, there's a lot of us, we, we start out young in our faith, and we make all these changes, and then we get committed, and we do something, we serve in VBS or whatever, and then we get to a place to say, you know what, I just kind of want to manage this as I go forward. You know, I just want to have this controlled sense of walking with God. I don't, I don't want it to be too demanding, too taxing, too costly, whatever. And I, think, I think one of the biggest ways that you and I can measure whether or not we really have teachable hearts before the Lord so that he can speak to us through his word, and as we do them, he actually has an impact on the world through us, that the, one of the biggest ways that we can tell if we have a teachable heart is how lavish, how eager, how exuberant we are in responding to the word as it comes into our lives. Is it like, well, you know, I'll get to that. I might have some time Thursday to think about, you know. Or is it, you know what, I need to go home right now. I know what I was going to I was going to go to the pool. It's 95 degrees out, whatever. I need to stay home for a while and just spend some time thinking about this, praying through this, making a commitment, figuring out how lavish are we, how eager, how exuberant, how all in are we in response to when God speaks to us. These are powerful things for us, but I, this is what I want you to take away from. God has designed you to have an impact. God wants your life to make a difference. The only thing that really depends upon is how you respond to God. That's it. It depends upon how you respond to God. It's not how gifted you are, not how much money you are, how much influence you have over people. If you will simply respond to what God is saying to you, God's going to use your life to make a difference. He did it with Josiah. He wants to do it with you. He wants to do it with me. He wants to do it with Hope Chapel. And this is something that we don't need to be afraid of, but we need to embrace with God's grace because it, it's a marvelous journey. It's a marvelous journey. I, I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the institution of the Lord's Supper, these moments in the life of our spiritual journey where we remember what happened on the cross is he wants us to remember the impact that a single life can have on change in the world. Now, Jesus was fully God, absolutely, but he was also fully man. But one man, his life changed the world forever. And Jesus said, I want you to remember. I want to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to go ahead and take their spots in the back. And I want to read for us a text from Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus celebrates the very first Lord's Supper with his disciples. So they're gathered together. It's the last night of Jesus' life. He's, he's literally got less than 24 hours left of human life on the planet. So they're eating his Passover meal the one that Josiah had reinstated. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them. He said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray for just a moment before we come to the table.
God, thanks for being our creator. Thanks for being the one who recreates us in Christ, individually, each one, one person at a time. But Lord, thank you also for being the one who wants to change the world through the light that you've placed in us in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the impact that that one human life had on our eternal destiny. And Father, we pray that that light would shine through us today and it would change the eternal destiny of others around us. God, today we do indeed seek to remember what it is that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. The way that his body was broken, beaten, pierced, and executed so that you and I that we might have life in Christ, a life that makes a difference in the world. God, thank you for Jesus, the man. Thank you for your Jesus, your son. And we pray in his name. Amen.